Unitarian Universalism is a big tent religion. We draw from many diverse sources. You can see all six of them listed on the back of your order of service. And our sixth source is the spiritual teachings of earth-centered religions, which celebrate the sacred circle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. Now, there are many different earth-centered traditions, but here on this day before Halloween, uh, known in the pagan tradition as Samhain, I'd like to invite us to reflect in particular on the spiritual path of paganism. Since we're also eight days away from a U.S. presidential election, that would be the first metaphor that came to mind. So if you'll indulge me in a political analogy to try to help explain the ways that different groups understand and relate to paganism differently. Consider, for example, that the way that Hillary Clinton describes herself and her policies and her aspirations are starkly different from the ways that Donald Trump describes her. The inverse in many ways is also true, that Donald would use different words and different frameworks to describe himself and his campaign than Hillary would. Now, there are rare cases of people describing their opponents in the most charitable terms and then still attempting to prove them wrong. But far too often, we humans tend to frame our opponents in the least charitable terms, even in false or misleading ways, and then to knock down those straw men as in, instead of the actual opponent's arguments. Now, a similar dynamic is in play when we look back on how people understand words like Christian or pagan. Many Christians would prefer to describe themselves as people who seek to follow Jesus' way of love and forgiveness and mercy, and that has been the case with the best of the Christian tradition through the centuries. But some opponents of Christianity would prefer to describe Christians from a different perspective, using words like hypocritical, bigoted against homosexuals, uh, sheltered, or judgmental. Similarly, pagans, it comes from the Latin word paganus. It used to simply mean peasants, peasants in the Roman Empire. So if you were a pagus, you were um, from a country district, and a paganus was someone who lived there. So a pagus lived in a paganus. Likewise, the word heathen just meant someone who lived in the heath, the country, not the city. It was not until the rise of Christianity, so Christianity was primarily an urban phenomenon, so as Christianity rose, uh, those country-dwelling pagans and heathens who continued in many cases to celebrate their local gods came, and goddesses came to be seen as infidels, uh, idolaters, and heretics. Before Christianity tried to lump a wide diversity of polytheistic traditions together as this thing called paganism, this thing that the pagans, the peasants did, um, pagans were simply that. They were just peasants following their distinct and various local traditions. So instead of how others might describe or have described pagans, I invite you to consider just one example from the late Margot Adler. She was a NPR reporter, a Unitarian Universalist, as well as the author of one of the, one of the definitive guides to the modern pagan movement in the U.S. titled Drawing Down the Moon. Um, so this is one example from Adler of how pagans might describe themselves. They sense an aliveness and a presence in nature. 
They share the goals of living in harmony with nature, and they tend to view humanity's so-called advancement and separation from nature as a prime source of the alienation that many moderns feel. They tend to see ritual as a tool to end that alienation. They gravitate to ancient symbols and ancient myths and the old polytheistic traditions. They are reclaiming these stories and transforming them for today's world. They do not regard pleasure as sinful, nor do they consider this world to be a burden. While many of their members lead quite ordinary, successful lives in the so-called real world, they are able to detach themselves from many of the trends of the day, maintaining a sense of humor, a gentle anarchism, and a remarkable tolerance for diversity. Their religious movement is only partly what might be called an occult phenomenon, occult meaning that which is hidden or beyond the range of ordinary perception. Often it is interwoven with the visionary and artistic tradition, the ecology movement, the feminist movement, and the libertarian movement. All that being said, because paganism both historically and today is highly decentralized, if you actually got together two or three pagans to say, tell me a little bit about what does paganism mean, you'd get either two, three, four, five, or more different answers to that, sort of like Unitarian Universalism. So regarding the number of pagans in the U.S. today, the most recent number I've seen is somewhere around one million. Related to the growing number of adherents to Earth-centered traditions, last month here at UUCF, we had 393 people show up for our second annual Pagan Pride Day. The International Pagan Pride Project seeks to eliminate prejudice and religious discrimination through education, activism, charity, and community. Our local version included full-day workshops, music, and vendors. Planning's already underway for a third annual Pagan Pride Day in September 2017. In the meantime, if you're curious, now paganism isn't for everyone, but if it might be for you, uh, if you're curious to learn more about the Earth-centered spiritual tradition, uh, our UU Pagan group here has three regular gatherings to which all are welcome. Every third Sunday during the uh, 10.30 a.m. middle hour between the two services over there in the chapel, there is an Earth-centered spirituality service. Uh, each full moon, there's a labyrinth walk that's either here in the sanctuary or on our um, grass labyrinth that's in between the sanctuary and the chapel. And there's finally a ritual and potluck meal to celebrate each of the eight points on the wheel of the year, the next of which is Samhain. That'll be tonight at seven, if any of you want to come back for that. So each year I try to read one or more books about each of the six sources of Unitarian Universalism and try to go deeper into them. And in the past year, I was interested to see that Alex Marr's book, Witches of America, had been named one of the New York Times' top 100 books of 2015. Have any of you read that by any chance? All of you read all of the top 100 books every year, right? <laughs> I know you do. Uh, here's how Marr describes herself. She says, raised in Manhattan, I, conf I confirm plenty of the stereotypes of New Yorkers. Overeducated liberal, feminist, skeptic of organized religion, surrounded by friends who consider agnosticism to be an uncomfortable level of devotion. 
She says, I believe in something transcendent, but I've yet to meet anyone with a convincing label of it. So that's who Marr is. But her book, Witches of America, is a memoir about who she is, this liberal New Yorker, spent five years going in-depth into various aspects of the pagan movement in the U.S. So if you're interested, um, the, the book is interesting. I appreciated it. Um, but there is a tension there, actually, uh, this related to this, what we've been exploring about the difference, the tension between how one might describe oneself versus how others might describe you. There's been some heated debate online about whether Mars' descriptions of modern pagans are fair. Some agree, including some of the pagans she's describing, some strongly disagree. Personally, I find one of the most compelling parts of paganism to be the focus on the wheel of the year. So if you imagine a circle, if you, and you imagine that cut into quarters, and think about those quarters being the seasons of the year. So one quarter, winter, spring, summer, fall. And uh, pagan adds the, paganism adds the additional nuance of what are called cross-quarter days. So it breaks the year into eighths instead of fourths. So it has eight turning points. I, and I really appreciate that added subtlety of, of encouraging us to really be attentive to the turning of the seasons. So in between winter solstice and spring equinox is Imbolc, an invitation to celebrate the lengthening of daylight. And like that word Lent, some of you may know that from the Christian tradition leading up to Easter. Link, Lent comes from the Latin word lectin, meaning the lengthening of days. So all these things start to relate if you start overlapping the traditions. But, um, and also, of course, this pagan tradition of Imbolc um, is secularized as Groundhog's Day, is the secular equivalent. In between spring equinox and summer solstice is Beltane, uh, famous for the dancing around the maypole, again secularized as May Day. In between summer solstice and fall equinox is Lamas, and Lamas is a time of gratitude and abundance for the first harvest, which many of us can get away from uh, in our grocery stores, just have all the things all the time, right? Lamas is a chance to get back in touch with those agricultural rhythms. And finally, in between fall equinox and winter solstice is Samhain, also known as All Hallows' Eve or Halloween, a time in particular for remembering your ancestors, as Irene spoke about earlier, of visiting her ancestors' graves and cleaning them. For now, on this day before Samhain, on the eve of All Hallows' Eve, in the silent and musical meditation to follow, I invite you just to continue reflecting on what are potentially the aspects of our UU6 source uh, that either individually or collectively resonate with you or might call with you. What might you have to learn and go deeper into, into celebrating the sacred circle of life and into living more fully in harmony with the rhythms of nature. My name is Irene. I teach the weekly yoga class here, facilitate the monthly labyrinth walks, and I am the co-chair of the Frederick chapter of the Covenant of Unitarian Universalist Pagans. Frederick Cups is an organization dedicated to networking pagan-identified Unitarian Universalists, educating people about paganism, promoting interfaith dialogue, developing pagan liturgies and theologies, and supporting pagan-identified UU religious professionals. That's all longhand for saying that if you like to hug trees and howl at the moon, we might have some things in common. When I was a little girl, 
I used to lie in my yard with one ear pressed to the earth. I was listening to a song. It sounded like a choir of thousands of voices, all singing in harmony. And every now and then, one particular voice would rise up, would arc above the others, before returning back into that tapestry of sound. It was constantly evolving and changing, but always part of a greater progression held by all the other voices. I'm not sure what I thought the music was. One of the wonderful things about children is that they're less inclined to try to take apart a mystical experience, and they can instead just accept things that aren't easily explained. So, to me, there was a song inside the earth. And if you listened, you could hear it. When I think about how that listening child came to stand here as the agricultural year winds down and cloaks and pointed hats are once again de rigueur, uh, that song is actually the first thing that comes to mind. You see, paganism is built around mystery. The deepest secrets of the different traditions, the kinds of paganism, are referred to as mysteries, capital M. Almost every pagan I have met stumbled into this path because of an experience that doesn't fit any of the neat little boxes that we like to put things into. I am out as a pagan, which means that I comfortably self-identify as a member of an earth-based belief system. So if the topic comes up, even among strangers, I will comfortably own my beliefs. Now, what that tends to translate to is that about 15 minutes after someone has found out that I am a witch, they tell me about the time they saw a ghost. <laughs> or the time they got a tarot reading and it all came true. Or the time they saw lights dancing in the forest. Or the time they knew about something before it happened. And I find myself saying the same words every single time. You are not crazy. This world, this incredible experience of life that we are sharing is far wilder and more wonderful than we want it to be, than we are willing to let it be. It's easier if you can fit things into boxes. Life is less scary if you can explain everything that happens, either with protons and neutrons or with religious scripture. It gives us an illusion of safety, of predictability. But sometimes, things happen that are outside the known systems of organization. So then what? Who do you tell? Where do you go? Those direct interactions with one of the mysteries change our perspective. Unfortunately, in this culture, what most people experience after that is anxiety, simply because there isn't a good box to put a mystical experience inside. So we suppress the words that we long to speak. We learn to leave out some of our most authentic and life-changing experiences because we lack a structure to explore them and because we fear being ridiculed. I was lucky. I grew up in a nominally Christian household. I was baptized and we went to Christmas and Easter services. But I come from a line of engineers very rational, sensible people who spent their lives in fields dominated by the use of reason. I would describe the actual religious leanings of my family as stealth atheism. <laughs> We're still not sure what happened with me. 
Um, what that meant in a practical sense is that I was raised philosophically free, unencumbered with a dogmatic belief system of any kind. And I had parents who chose not to crush what could be seen as flights of fancy. Instead, they just let me explore, learn, and process in a way that was natural to me. So I lay in the yard and listened to the earth. I spent hours sitting in the tree in my front yard with one cheek pressed against the bark, talking to the spirit inside it. I played in the stream nearby and I cleared rocks out of the way so the water could flow more smoothly and I pressed shiny stones into the bank to decorate it because I thought it made the spirit of that place happy. I sang to the trees. I made friends with the houseplants in my home. I always loved, and to this day, love decorating for Christmas because it means that the trees at my home get to wear sparkling ball gowns of lights and ribbon. These were my friends as a child. I was always eccentric within the context of my peer group, so I gravitated toward other unusual kids, the readers and the dreamers, the rebels and artists, musicians and blessed lunatics. When I was 15, a friend of mine lent me a copy of a book on paganism, and reading it was like seeing the sunrise for the very first time. Finally, someone else got it. The world was neither composed solely of scientific laws in action, nor did it obey the directive of a particular religious text. Instead, life is bigger. Sentience and spirit are wider reaching than the textbooks say. Divine connection takes many forms, perhaps as many as there are people to experience that closeness and at the center of it all, the mystery, the precious fluid that fills the philosophical containers we build for it. Some people can experience divine grace and connection inside a church. For the first time, I found out that I wasn't wrong or crazy because my mystical experiences happened outside that particular box. So I became pagan. I don't remember telling my parents, most likely because the conversation was uneventful. As a teenager, I began building my practice with some friends in high school. I enlisted in the Marine Corps after graduation. The acceptance of my personal take on life, the universe, and everything at home meant that it never even occurred to me to go into the broom closet, as so many pagans do. So I had Wicca on my dog tags. Through the military pagan network and listings for spiritual groups where I was stationed in Okinawa, I found others like me. We wore camouflage utilities during the day and found our way to empty beaches at night to stand in a circle and connect to that greater mystery. And everywhere I went, the song of the earth went with me. I've traveled a lot, I've met wonderful people and I've had so many incredible experiences that stray outside the territory of the rational or predictable. But instead of running in fear from something I do not understand, I take a deep breath, I lean in, and I expand the mystery that I carry in my heart a little bit more. I learn as I go. I do not think that paganism will ever be one of the big three world religions, nor do I think it should be. It's a challenging path, it is not for everyone. Since we don't have easy boxes to file things into, we often find ourselves with as many questions as answers. Fascinating, 
beautiful questions that we are free to ask, explore, and be. We learn to sit with the mystery, to experience and grow, even if it means that what we encounter can't be put into words. We balance our mundane lives and responsibilities against the tapestry of that mystery, of the knowledge that there is so much more. So if you've seen a ghost, had a psychic experience, felt transcendental connection in the oddest of places, I can tell you right now, you are not crazy. That's the mystery, knocking at your door. I won't tell you what to do with that knowledge, but I can tell you this, you're not alone. And the Earth Service meets the third Sunday of the month. <laughs>